right, Romans chapter 6 tonight. Romans chapter 6, continuing our way through the book of Romans. And so, a little review before we get into chapter 6. It's always important to do uh, and whenever you're going through a book of the Bible. We never want to forget this is all one letter, the chapter divisions, and were added later uh, just to help us find our way through there. I think it's a good thing. But it also enables people to kind of isolate passages and then take things out of context in an embarrassing way sometimes. And we don't want to do that. And so to kind of remind us of what we're talking, and it's important with chapter six that we do not isolate it. And if you isolate chapter six, then you could try to make a claim that it's saying some things that it definitely isn't saying. And sometimes people will use some verses and phrases in here. And sometimes you know, you can make a statement sometimes that's not real specific, but typically, you know, context will let people know what the specifics are. And in this chapter, we're going to see, and hopefully we'll time, have time to get into some of the bad interpretations people do, but you'll find out if we pay attention to what was said in the previous chapters and especially what is going to be discussed in chapter seven, there's no way you could interpret this chapter the way some people try to interpret it. And so the uh, way we're going to interpret it today, uh, I believe, is accurate because it it flows with what we've been seeing in chapters 1 through 5. And if you're still not sure, when we go to chapter 7, it will be very obvious that uh, we're interpreting this correctly. So chapters 1 through 3, Paul laid out the fact that everyone's a sinner and in need of a Savior. In, in chapters 1 through 5, there's been several references to believing on Christ for salvation. That's just constantly being brought up. In chapter 4, he proved from the Old Testament that not only is salvation without works, but you can't be working for your salvation anyway. So in other words, if you're trying to help Jesus pay for your sins, then you are not believing on Him. You're not trusting in Him you're trusting in Him and your works. You've tainted the offering of God. It won't do any good. Salvation has to be by faith only. And so in chapter 5, he shows that righteousness is still required to go to heaven, but it's just showing, because he didn't want you to think righteousness isn't important. No, righteousness is absolutely essential. It's just righteousness can only be obtained through Christ and not through our works of the law. And so... He's given a very clear case for salvation without works that comes only from believing on Christ. And he showed us in the last few verses, chapter verses 19 through 21 of Romans 5, we're not going to go through it again, that salvation is eternal and it cannot be lost. And whenever you tell people this, when you tell unbelievers this, typically the first thing that comes up is they will think, well, how can a person continue sinning and still be saved? And that's what they'll tell you. You're teaching people. You're giving people license to sin. Are you telling me that I can commit sins and still go to heaven? That's what they do. These are the natural objections that come up. And so, uh, chapter 6, he starts out saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So again, they had the same objections back then that we do now. But if I might reason with you for just a little bit, okay? So, is free salvation that is permanent a license to sin? Well, of course not, okay? Because first off, why is it that not going to hell is considered license to sin? For example, suppose that you you saw Hannah after church uh, do something bad, go hit one of the other kids or something. And then I spank her. And then you come up to me and say, Pastor Tommy, I can't believe you're giving Hannah license to sin. It's like, no, I, I punished her for that. I think you should have killed her. It's like, uh, that's, a, that's a little dramatic. Okay? Because after all, the wages of sin is death. Right? And that was sin. But no, that's what people are saying when they're acting like just not going to hell is license to sin. No, God still punishes us. God still deals with us, but just because he doesn't remove us from the family does not mean he's given us license to sin. And the fact that when my kids sin, I don't kick them out of my house, that doesn't mean I'm giving them license to sin. No, I am punishing them. 
I am dealing with them. So this is just a dumb thing that people say that doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's overdramatic. And once we've been adopted, we've received forgiveness of sins. God does not need to, or is he required to throw us into hell every time we sin, just like a parent is not required to kill their children when they commit some kind of sin. No, you punish them. You love them. You keep them in the family. You try to restore them. And that's what God does to us. And so, you know, the argument is it's foolish. It's meant to play on the emotions of people to get them to reject the gospel. And so they put that scenario in your head, you know, like, if you know, so if someone, you know, gets saved and then what if they go and shoot up a children's hospital? You know, like there's no consequences. And listen, I don't care what someone does and what the perceived outcome is for people. There's a couple things that we can know for sure from the Bible. Okay? This is just a fact, a universal fact. One is that salvation is free and it's eternal. Fact. Here's another fact. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you sow to the flesh... You're going to reap things of the flesh. You're going to reap consequences. There are consequences for saved people when they sin. It's just not hell. We're still in the family. We get punished. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So, God does not give us license to sin. Eternal security is not license to sin. That is a ridiculous argument. It doesn't make any sense. And just understand this too. God is not required to let you see the chastisement of his children. We might not ever see the chastisement of others, or we might not know about it. We might not ever see the chastisement that the lost is going to receive. But you know what? You better believe it is going to come for sure. It's going to come. And you know, as parents, you might want to be careful too, giving your children who tattle the reward of watching their sibling get spanked because then it might just encourage them to be a tattletale. You know, and so, and God, He might want us to just trust Him sometimes and He might not let us see every bad thing that happens. And understand, you know, Christians, we all struggle with this. It's probably a subject for another day. But when you are wronged, you want to see God Take care of the, your enemies or take care of those who wronged you, don't you? But you know what? God wants you to trust him. God wants you to do right no matter what. And so the thing is, God might not let you see it. And chances are you're not going to get to see it because you, you shouldn't need to. And God doesn't want you committing the sin of taking pleasure in it, which is what most of us would probably do. So just understand when, when God's people get out of line, they will be dealt with. So, now that we've kind of done all this reasoning, let's get into this chapter. So, verse 1 again. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul is not saying that it is impossible for this to happen, for a saved person to continue in sin. He's not saying it's, it's impossible. But it is a horrible thing when that happens, when a saved person takes advantage of the grace of God, you know what? It's a shameful thing. For somebody to just knowingly sin against God because they know they have eternal security and they know God is gracious and all that kind of thing, that is a shameful thing to do. And you know what? God will punish you for it and it will not be worth it. It's not going to be worth it. And so in verse 3, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice it says this is what we should do. It is a shameful thing for a Christian to continue living a life of sin, to continue in disobedience against God, to, uh, to uh, not start doing the things they learn they should do, to refuse to quit doing the things that they learn that they shouldn't do. It's a shameful thing. People who are saved, if you've been buried in the likeness of His death, you've been, and uh, you know, raised in the likeness of His resurrection, you should walk in newness of life. And it's a tragedy and shame 
when people don't do it. And we, we expect certain behavior from certain families, even on earth. You all expect certain behavior from my children. Because you know their parents are Christians. You know their dad is a pastor. You expect that kind of thing. And you know, we ought to expect something from God's family. And, and think about, look how much shame has come to the Biden family because of Hunter Biden. I mean, just look at all the shame that, that he has caused because here his father is the President of the United States and he's a crackhead. You know, that's what we think is going to happen to the poor people and the homeless people on Skid Row. But here you got a president's son and he's a crackhead involved in all kinds of debauchery. It's a shameful thing. And what's really shameful is that Joe Biden doesn't act like he's even ashamed of it. You know, that, that, what a shameful thing that is. But we do, we expect more from a president's son. And you know what? We ought to expect something from a child of God. It's not wrong to expect something from a child of God. Just because salvation is free and not of works doesn't mean we shouldn't expect saved people to live decent lives. We, we, ought, we have every right to have that expectation. And in the church, we have every right to expect members of this church to behave in a certain way. We have every right to uh, you know, cast, throw people out of the church if they are not living up to a certain standard, if they are violating certain things, we have a right to do that. And it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. And so because we are going to be like Him someday, we should act like it now. And that is a theme throughout the New Testament. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. When you got saved, you right then became a child of God. But notice this. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Okay? Now, while we are sons of God, if we are actually honest, we don't really look like it. You know, all I can see are children of Adam in here today. That's, that's what you look like. And often that shows itself more than the fact you're a child of God, but we should try to act like a child of God instead of a child of Adam. And it says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He has not appeared yet, but he will one of these days, and we're going to be like him. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so when we have that hope, you know what we're just doing? You know what we're all doing? We're all making a pretty pathetic you know, attempt in the eyes of a holy God, but hopefully you're making an attempt and we'll see more about this next week. But hopefully, well, the one thing I want to see from everybody, the one thing we should all be expect to see from everyone in the church is people who are trying. People who are trying. And you know, my question for a lot of people today is just, are, are you even trying? Are you really putting in an effort I mean, is it that hard for you to just not be a vile individual? Is it that hard for you to get your tongue under control? Is it that hard for you to just behave yourself a little bit? Is it that hard to be nice? Is it that hard to be honest? Is it that hard to just keep yourself from drugs and alcohol and fornication and all these things? Is it, that, is it really that hard? And the truth is, you know, it is challenging and it's even more challenging for some people. But again... You know, if you have that hope, you ought to be making an effort. And I think if most people just made an effort, they they can do. You, and I, I'm going to show you, you can do better than you think you can do. You can do better. We can all do better. Let's, all of us in here, we can do better. There's no doubt about it. But Philippians 3:10 says that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. Neither, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of, Christ Jesus. Paul did not claim to have become like Christ, but he did, he was saying, I'm trying. He's saying, that's my goal. My goal is to be like Christ. He says, my brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before. Everyone in here, if we were going to, if we bring up your past performance, we've all blown it when it comes to being like Christ. 
But, you know what we're supposed to do? Forget it and to keep moving forward. Forget about yesterday. Move forward today. Okay, I, I, I get it. Yeah, you messed up yesterday. I get it. We've, we've all messed up before. But today, make that effort to do better. Are you doing better today than you were yesterday? Make that effort. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the testimony of every Christian should be one where those who know us can say that person is at least trying to be like Christ. And let me tell you, some people are going to have fewer sins in their life than others. But you know what? Maybe too, those people were born into a better situation. Some people are all going to have, they're going to have all kinds of problems because their flesh is carrying all kinds of baggage from before they were saved. Some former drug addict, he might never have the kind of victory in his life that some of you do. But in the end, it should be said of him, he's trying. And wherever he fails, wherever you fail, grace abounds. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so in verse 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin. And so one, our lives should not be dedicated to pleasures and satisfying of the flesh. And this is an easy thing for Christians get caught up into. We can get real satisfied with where we are in our Christian life because, you know, we haven't done this. You know, we've ne- especially if you grew up in a Christian home, you know, you never drank, you never did drugs. You know, you know there's a lot of stuff that you never did. And we can still become guilty of just living for pleasures and not being focused on spiritual things. And that's not good. You know, we ought to, uh, we ought to be people who, you know, understand our old man is crucified with him. We ought to be attempting to just conquer this flesh, get victory over this flesh. We have, we are under no obligation at all to feed and satisfy this flesh. If you're watching TV all the time, you're being told, hey, you deserve this. You deserve the nicer house. You deserve the nicer car. You deserve all these wonderful pleasures. That's what you're being told from advertisements. If you're watching social media, they're, they're hitting you with all this stuff. Just showing you deserve pleasure. You need these things. Folks, you are under no obligation to fulfill the desires of your flesh. You're, you, you know what? You know why? Because all your flesh has done for you has brought sin and death. Because we're going to see the wages of sin is death. The one we are obligated to do something for is Jesus Christ. And we ought to learn to just, you know, put our flesh on the back burner. I'm not saying you can never have fun. I think it's okay for Christians to have fun every now and then. But we should always prioritize spiritual things. We should always prioritize the, the things of God. The things of the fun things should always take a backseat to the things of God. God comes first. In everything. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. So you, don't have, you won't have to worry about sin when you're dead. And since no amount of feeding of the flesh is going to satisfy it or produce anything, we should work for the things of the Spirit. And so he says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So if you're saved, you shouldn't live for the flesh because your flesh is still going to die. But the things you do for Christ, they will go on. They will be eternal. And we are going to live with Christ one of these days. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So the only reason Jesus died in the first place was so he could pay for our sins and conquer death for us, and, and so it wouldn't have dominion over us. And the only re- and remember this too, okay, and I think this is what Paul's going to try to show us here. The only reason death could take him was because he let him. Okay? And Jesus proved his power over death at the resurrection. And so, um, and this next verse, in verse 11, this is the kind of where I want to get our text for the message today. But this is what we need to understand about what Jesus did at his resurrection. What Jesus basically did to prove his power over sin and death. It was similar to what someone does, like what a man might do when he wants to show his physical dominance. 
Okay? Have you ever seen it before? Maybe like uh, there's a guy, he's going to fight somebody, and he'll let the other guy have the first punch. You know, what's, what's he doing? I mean, that's a big advantage if you get a free punch. But that guy's just trying to show, man, I'm not scared of you. I can give you the first punch, and I can still take you. You know, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would wrestle with me. You know, he would sometimes, you know, let me get some advantage on him and put him in whatever hold I want, and then he would break out of it or something. You know, he was just showing his dominance <laughs> that, that he had over me. And so we often will kind of do that thing. Well, that's what Jesus did. To show his dominance over sin and over death, what Jesus literally did, he took the sins of the world on himself and he died. He died and was dead for three days. And understand, he laid down his life. Death did not conquer Jesus. No, Jesus let death take him. Why? Just so he could get out of it to show his dominance over death. That's basically what he was, what he was doing there. And so notice what it says in verse 11. So because Jesus Christ was able to do all that, because he was able to conquer death when he was after he carried the sins of the world, after he was dead for three days, and he still came back from that, he says in verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so what I'm calling this message tonight is, I reckon I'm just like Jesus. You know, we don't talk that way today. That kind of sounds like cowboy talk. Like, I reckon I'm just like Jesus. But I want you to get that in your head. Okay. And we're not saying this in like, I don't want you to say this in like a braggadocious way. But we should all have that mentality, I reckon I'm just like Jesus. In other words, that's how we should think about ourselves. We should think about ourselves as a people who are like Christ and we have power over sin. That we don't have to let sin have dominion over us because Jesus Christ was able to conquer sin. Jesus Christ was able to conquer death. And so because we've been buried with Him in baptism, you know what? We actually have the ability to say no to sin. And the only way sin is going to have any victory over us is if we yield to it. If we let it. The only reason death was able to get Jesus was because He let it. And understand, He needed to let it for our sakes. But you know what? We don't ever need to let sin have any kind of dominion over us. And so what we need to do, we need to think about ourselves as like Christ. I was thinking about this when I was preparing for this. I remember when Tommy was little, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember uh, we were drinking some kind of shake or something that was green. And so I remember I told Tommy, I was like, it's a kryptonite shake after he took a drink. And you know what he did? He fell over like he was dying. I didn't even have to tell him to do it. And now, now, why was he doing that? Because he thought he was like Superman. You know, and if Superman drank a kryptonite shake, you know, it's going to make him sick. And so, you know, that, that was just kind of, you know, and that's kind of how little kids are. Okay. Most of us, if I had some kind of thing that looked like kryptonite, you know, if a kid came up to me, I would probably act like I was dying too. Why are we doing that? Because we're trying to act like we're Superman. Okay. And, uh, that's the only thing that we can actually imitate is when Superman is like falling over dying because none of us can have his strength or can fly or bulletproof or can do anything like that. But again, that's just it's kind of a, a mindset or a mentality. And for Christians, you need to understand that you don't have to sin. And so think about think about how many people today, how many grown men go around imitating superheroes, go to comic cons and things like that. And they dress up and they do all these things. They try to act like them. They know everything about the superheroes. They know all their weaknesses. They know their strengths. They know their uh, main villains and things that they, uh, that they have. And, you know, we should be that way with Christ. We should know everything about Him. We should know how He acts. We should, we should know about His life. We should follow in His steps. We should do the things that Jesus would do. And some people... They do. You know, you have some people who, you know, maybe they look like superheroes a little bit. Yeah, you know, but at the end of the day, 
you know, nobody can fly. Nobody can do the things that these people do. And the truth is, none of us are ever going to match up to Christ. None of us will ever be as great as He is, but all of us should be making that effort to be like Him. And so if you are saved, understand, you have been credited with His righteousness. You are treated as a son of God. And so you have every reason to make your best attempt to be like Him. And you know what? You'd be surprised what you can do if you will walk in the Spirit. If you will keep that mind... You know what? No matter how hard I think about it, no matter how many Superman movies I watch, no matter how many facts I learn about Superman, I'll never fly, I'll never be bulletproof or anything like that. But you know, if I will think about Christ, if I will concentrate on Him, if I will learn about Him, if I will try to uh, have His mindset, attitude, if I will uh, walk in the Spirit, if I will yield to His Spirit that lives inside of me, I'll be able to do quite a bit. Because, not because I'm great. My flesh stinks. And Paul's going to talk about that in the next chapter. Our flesh is a real problem, but that spirit that's in us, it has great power. And we see the apostles do some great things. Why? And they did it through the power of the Spirit. We see them healing people, raising people from the dead. They, do, they did all these things through the power of the Spirit. None of them did it through their flesh. None of, none of them did it that way. So verse 14, he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And understand this passage, this statement, is not announcing that we have entered into a new dispensation. It is showing that God's law doesn't have dominion over us, so we don't need to fear God's wrath when we fail. God will not treat us like those who are not His children, but He will, will deal with us as sons. So when it's saying, ye are, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That means when somebody comes along and they try to accuse you like the devil and show you the areas where you have fallen short in your life and show you all the areas where you have sinned and you aren't exactly like Jesus, just understand, well, you know what? I'm not under the law. So you can't, con- you can't threaten me with hell. You can't condemn me with the things of the law. I've been, I have imputed righteousness. I'm under grace. So even though my performance always comes short according to the law of God, God can still be pleased with me. And understand, when anything that you do in the Spirit, anything you do from the heart, anything that you do that is of faith, God is pleased with it and God can use it. Folks, that's why we are able to get people saved. Do you all understand that? That the only reason that you're able to get people saved out souling, I mean, that, getting somebody saved is a really big thing. I mean, what's, what's better, raising somebody from the dead or getting somebody saved? Because did you know getting somebody saved is permanent? Or raising somebody from the dead is temporary. So in reality, it's a greater work to do something like that. And, and, and so think about that kind of work. How in the world is God able to use us to do something like that? And it's simply grace. When we go out soul winning, do we, and we get people saved, are we always doing everything right? Zero sin? I mean, how many, you know, we don't have to do any confessing tonight, but how many before when you've been out soul winning, you've probably had bad thoughts, thoughts cross your mind? Why are there? How many before when you've been out there soul winning, you probably didn't even really feel like going out that day, but you kind of felt obligated and you still got somebody saved? How in the world is God using a sinner to get people saved? Grace. Grace. It's not about deserving. It's not about being worthy. I'm not telling you, you, you know, I, I think it's good to pray before you go out. I think it's good to try to, uh, to try to be spiritual and to try to walk in the Spirit. But on your best day, you're still going to come short. You're, there's still going to be something that we can nail you with. There's going to be something that you're, you're not doing completely right, yet God can still use you. Why? Because you're not under the law, but under grace. That is why, too, as much as we hate to admit it, there's trendies out there in their churches with their 7-Eleven songs that are preaching the right gospel and they're getting people saved. How can they be getting saved when they don't have sanctified music like we do? Grace. 
Hey, now, don't get me wrong. Well, well, you know, shouldn't they be obedient? Hey, you know, there's some, maybe there's some people that don't know any better. Maybe they haven't been taught right. Again, I, if, if the Lord reveals something wrong in your life, you need to get it right. You better get it right. But don't be surprised when there's people out there that you can easily find fault with are out there getting people saved. They are able to do that because of grace. Grace enables us to do that. And so, again, this isn't about entering a new dispensation. This is about telling believers, you know what, go ahead and do something for God. Reckon yourselves to be like Christ and be victorious. Go do great things for God. You're not under the law. So stop listening to people who are trying to cream you with the law and make you feel like you're unworthy and go out and get something done. I'm not telling you, take advantage. Again, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You stink if you're just out there purposefully, willingly, just going and committing sins when you know better. When you do, you know better. And you're just going to go ahead and sin and then go do some soul winning like penance. That's ridiculous. That's terrible. If you have that attitude, I have no doubt God's going to deal with you. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, I said, Paul for sure. He's clarified it a couple of times already. He's not encouraging people to sin. He's giving people encouragement not to sin by showing them that you don't have to sin. And that even though you're, there's going to be always something that people can nail you with from the law. You can still be used of God, but just make sure you're reckoning yourself to be like Christ. Do, do your best. You know, when you went and got drunk last night, were you trying to be like Christ when you did that? No, you weren't. You were, you were trying to feed the flesh. Okay? But when you went out soul winning, and maybe you got in the flesh when you got cussed out, okay? Were you, were, you, you, were you trying to be like Christ then? Yeah, I was trying. It just got really hard. Okay, all right, yeah, and you, and you messed up. You know, you, you probably shouldn't have said what you said to them. You didn't need to insult their, you know, do a yo mama joke at them or something like that, you know, to, to put them in their place. You didn't need to do that. You sinned, but you know what? You still might get somebody saved before you leave. You were trying, you just didn't do a very good job. And that's where grace comes in. But again, if you're just out there, you know, just... You know, again, like doing it like penance, doing it in your face, not making an effort. That's not what we're talking about here. Paul is just trying to get people make that effort. And if we can, if we can just get people making an effort, we would be amazed at what everyone would be able to do. If we could get everybody in Liberty Baptist Church to just step up their game and just make an effort this week to be like Christ, it would change a lot of things. And you could do more than you realize. So verse 15, um, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So again, this is why we still preach the law. We don't preach it for salvation, but we preach it because we want to be like Christ and we want to please Him. We want to reckon ourselves to be like Christ. So if when we look at the law, if we know... God hates these things. Why would we want to do those things? We're going to try to learn about these things because it'll help us be more like Him. And so for all those two who want to just use that phrase, we are not under law but under grace, they use that phrase to want to throw the law out. Let me just briefly show you something. Because you know, ignorant people who know nothing about the Bible act like if you try to bring up laws about queers, for example, that you might as well say we should be sacrificing animals too. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so let me, and let me just kind of give you an illustration of this. Hebrews 10.6 says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. So understand, when the Old Testament saints were obedient to God and sacrificed animals, God was pleased with their obedience and their faith. But God in no way saw those sacrifices as atonement for anyone's sins. Since God has now revealed to us that fact, and He has told us not to sacrifice animals anymore, then, you know, we shouldn't do those things, right? And so the thing is, it would be wrong for us to go back to doing those things. So of course we're not going to go back to sacrificing animals. But things like homosexuality, 
Did you know that was something that was despised by God before the law and after the law? Leviticus 18.22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. It was a disgust. God hated it. God hates homosexuality. 2 Peter 2.6 says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. That was before the law that God hated that, despised it, and condemned it. And God did that for all those after. And you know what? He's using that as an example here in the New Testament because God still hates that sin. So understand, there is a reason we still preach against homosexuality and we preach against sacrificing animals. You know why? Because we were, it was revealed in the New Testament, God is not pleased by the sacrificing of animals. He's pleased by obedience and faith and God has told us to stop doing that and so we stopped doing that. He was pleased at one time when they did it, but not anymore. So it, that makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all to put sacrificing animals, which was temporary, which was there until the time of Reformation, and then apply that and make, make it like now homosexuality is okay, even though it was condemned before the law and it was stated as being sinful and worthy of death even after the law, even in right here in Romans. So that's just horrible mangling of scriptures to get people to try to justify sin. And wimpy pastors will use some of that same reasoning too because they don't want to deal with the grief that comes from preaching against America's pet sin. And uh, we don't need to fall for that. We're going to continue ripping on that stuff. So Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And notice that who you yield yourself to. Again, you're yielding. Did you know there's a lot of men out there who have yielded to their wives, even though they're bigger than them, stronger than them, even though God has given them authority over their wives, because their wives are maybe really good at nagging, these big, tough guys. I've known known big, tough guys who have yielded to their wives and she's got him right under her thumb she tells him how it is. She tells him what to do. And it's just like, dude, you don't have to, to do that. You don't have to put up with that. But you know what? They're, they've yielded. They've, they've yielded to something that's weaker. I mean, the Bible says she's the weaker vessel, and yet they have yielded. That's pretty sad. Well, understand, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to sin. Sin does not have to have dominion over you. If it is having dominion over you, it's because you're letting it. It, it, it there, are, there are parents today whose kids have dominion over them. Their kids call the shots. Their kids set the agenda. Their kids set everything for them. That is a shame. I told everybody the first Sunday we ever had in our church, a family came in with their little kid. The little kid didn't want to come. He changed his mind and didn't want to be in there. And the parents are standing there like, what do we want to do? And they're just kind of looking at each other. And they just looked at their son. He was like six years old. They said, what do you want to do? And he said, go home. And he went, walk. He just walked out. And you know what they did? They followed him. And we never saw him again. That little kid ran the home. They yielded to that little kid. And watching those parents go follow that little kid who was running the show, that ran everything. I mean, you, do, you know, they, you have people, they can't go to church because they're kids. It's like, no, you need to be bringing your kids to church. You don't let your kids set the agenda on these things. And understand, as as pathetic as it is, watching little kids rule their parents. You know what? That's what it's like when you let sin rule over you. You don't have to. You do not have to do that. But if if you yield to sin, then you know what? You're a servant to that. You're a servant and that is a shame. And so all sin... It leads to death, and all obedience leads to righteousness, and what and and that's what Paul has been challenging us to work towards. So he says in verse seventeen, "But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine 
which was delivered you. And so thank God for those who after they get saved, they turn from their sins to the best of their ability. Nobody has ever successfully turned from all their sins. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there who have changed their life, who have taken a new path. And walked a new, they're walking a new course and they have repentance of sins. There are people who have gotten victory over drugs and alcohol and all the things that had them captive at one time. There are people have walked, who have walked away from some really serious sins and they never turned their back on those things and will never go back to those things. There's a lot of people that have done that and they did that by following from the heart that form of doctrine. And here's what we have in a lot of churches today. We have a lot of churches today where the preacher gets up and rightfully preaches hard against sin. And then you have people in the church who will conform to whatever it is the preacher's harping on so they can fit in. The problem is with many of these people, it's not in their heart. And if it's not in your heart, it's only a matter of time and you're going to go right back to your old ways. But here he mentions these people, they have obeyed from the heart, the form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. And that's where people need to get. That's where I want to get people to. That's why I don't, so I, I don't think I'm a, a dictator type, taskmaster type. I try to preach hard about sin. I try to lay the truth out there, but I don't want to like guilt trip. I don't go twisting people's arms to get them into church and all those type of things. I don't, I don't do that. I want it to be in your heart. My goal is to preach it in a way where you will be convinced where you will be fully persuaded in your own mind that this is true, that this is the best way. And if I can, if I can fully persuade you, it will be in your heart. And you know what? You'll stick to it. You'll keep, you'll keep doing it. And so, uh, thank God for those who do turn from their sins to the best of their ability. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And you're either a servant of sin or a servant of righteousness. And nowhere here too, when it says, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness, Paul is not guaranteeing this will happen to everyone who's truly saved. It can happen to anyone who gets saved, but it doesn't always happen. Some people continue serving sin and are fruitless Christians. And that's sad because they don't have to be. Anybody that gets saved who does not bear fruit, who does not serve the Lord, who remains a servant to sin, they don't have to be that way. And it is, it's a shameful thing. It doesn't, it, it always bothers me. And it makes me sad how many people we talk to that I believe are saved when we go out soul winning, who are professing the right gospel, clearly understand it. But you ask them where they go to church, they don't go to church. It's like, come on. You ought to get in church. You ought to get, you, you, you know, you need to get in the fight. You need to do something. You need to get involved. But it doesn't always happen. Verse 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. And so we do. We still have an infirmity called the flesh. We have that sickness. There are people today who often maybe they struggle with certain things because of infirmity in their flesh. Maybe they'll never be a good track and field star because they have asthma or something like that. Or they've got some other kind of disease that makes things difficult. And we do. We have something working against living for God and being good Christians, and it's called our flesh. It's an, inf it's an infirmity. But when you have the Spirit, we can still do it, even though we have that infirmity, as long as we yield to the Spirit. And so just like death couldn't take Christ unless he let it understand sin can't get you unless you let it and we often do and so don't just you know we, we we hear people they make that statement like well you know that this person they fell into sin and this is and I don't really like that term because it makes it sound like it was an accident you know it makes it sound like they were a victim you know like Satan just created this trap for them they didn't see coming I get it Satan has traps and things out there but you know, most sin that we fall into, we jumped into. Truth, I mean, truth is, most things that really get us in trouble, it happened with us 
fighting the Holy Ghost the entire way, rebelling against the Word of God, rebelling against people that are in our lives, and uh, just rebellion is what got us there. And so it says, For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And there was a time when there wasn't even a conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. You just walked according to the course of the world. You did what your flesh wanted to do. That's what our world's doing. And be careful watching after, you know, be careful longing after these people who are just out there giving their flesh everything at once. Because get, I get it. Your flesh often wants the same thing. But you know what? Just watch those people. They'll never be satisfied. They, the flesh cannot be satisfied, and especially young people. Okay? You know, young people, teenagers, young adults, that are living for the flesh, giving themselves everything they want, the scars from those sins are not showing yet. The damage has not been done yet, but it's coming. And it will show itself. And if you want to find out where it leads to, you know what? Go visit some homeless communities in the cities. That's where it leads to. These are people who have given themselves over to the flesh. You don't want to do it. Thank God that there's a conflict in your life. And there are... A lot of young people in churches today, it is, it's a real battle for them. You know, they've, they've never had to fight the things of the flesh. They've never had any real temptation. And they are, they're longing for the things of the world. They don't have real life experience to show them just how bad it is and how big of a lie the things of the flesh are. But you know what? Thank God that conflict's there and just have some faith and just don't give in. Do what God said to do. Because here's what's going to happen. If you decide, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to give myself, my, I'm going to give my flesh what it wants for a little while. Verse 21 says, What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Okay, nobody, okay, nobody's proud of their sins of the past. Sin only leads to death. That's, that's all it does. That's all it accomplishes. It produces death it produces shame. What is the fruit of all that partying that you did in the past? What was, what was the fruit of all that debauchery? Just STDs, heartaches. That, you know, that, that's, all, that's all there was from it. And, you're, and you're, now you're ashamed of it. He's saying this to people who at one time were giving themselves over to these things. And so understand, for the young people, just don't do it. Any, any sowing to the flesh you do, you'll just be embarrassed by it one of these days. And you know what? I'm tired of preachers who get up and they glamorize their sinful past, tell it like it's funny stories, tell it like it was almost fun. And then it's like make, making Christian kids think they're missing out on something. No, you're not missing. You are missing out, but it's on things that you want to miss out on. You know what? I'm fine with missing out and never experiencing jail and prison. You know, the last thing I want to do, I'll never forget when we went, when I was a teenager and visited a detention home and they took us back and they showed us where they strip search all the kids. And I just like, I am never letting these people strip me down to nothing. There's no way I'm letting them do that to search. There's absolutely, I, it, it traumatized me. You know what it did? It scared me straight. I wasn't really thinking about going into a life of crime uh, at that point in my life. But you know what? Thankfully, I saw that at a young age and so I just never even considered it. I had never considered going into life of crime after I saw that. I'm fine. I'm fine that I missed out on all that stuff. I'm glad I missed out on getting things like DUIs. I'm glad I've missed drug charges and things like that. Things that can affect your, the job that you get. I've known people that have had a hard time getting good jobs. I'm talking about saved people, people who are living for the Lord, but they had criminal records and it made their life very difficult. What fruit did they have in those things? Nothing. It only made their life difficult and they're ashamed of it now. So just don't fall for those things. Thank God that you don't have any of that stuff in your life. There's, there's absolutely nothing to be proud of. And if you ever hear someone talking like they're proud of it, if you hear somebody talking about when they got drunk and talking about when they got high or something like that, mark it down. It's a young person that hasn't dealt with the consequences yet. They're still a fool. They're a fool and they have no idea what they're in for. It's not going to be pretty. So in verse 22, But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. 
and our actions that we have that are of the Spirit, they don't earn everlasting life. We'll see that in the next verse. But they have rewards. And in the end, we have everlasting life too. He goes on to say, and we all know this verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only thing that comes from sin is death. That's it. Death. Shame. Sin is the worst thing you could possibly live for because it has a cost or a wage. But eternal life, it's a gift. And it doesn't make sense for a Christian to just devote their lives to the things of the flesh. We should understand better than anybody the things of this earth are temporal. The things of heaven are eternal. And so, again, all these things we read, the way Romans 6 is written, some could try to take this passage, twist it, and add meaning making it like a person who is saved cannot do these things. That's not what it's saying when it says, God forbid. It's just saying, what a horrible thing that would be. It is very possible. And the problem, again, the only way you're going to get that is if we ignore the previous five chapters, and especially if we ignore the next chapter. And understand, chapter 6 in no way is telling us that saved people cannot live for sin. He's literally telling us not to yield. He's saying, don't yield. Don't be a servant. Reckon yourselves to be like Christ. And that's what we need to do. We need to start just thinking of ourselves as like Jesus. We need to make Jesus our hero uh, is what we need to do. We need to understand we can be like him if we'll walk in the spirit. He has literally given us the spirit and you can do better than you realize. You can do better. So understand a salvation that is without works, that is free, that is eternal, does not teach a license to sin. God does not want us sinning and God will deal with us as children if we sin. And the fact that He will not kick us out of the family and throw us into hell does not mean He's given us license to sin. Just like our government when they throw people in jail. They're not giving them license to sin by throwing them in jail. Yeah, but they're still alive. Yeah, but they're in jail. That stinks. It, it's so it's just it's that's bad reasoning. Don't fall for it. Salvation is for sure eternal. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I thank you so much for this chapter and the uh, wonderful uh, lessons that we can learn from it. And I pray, Lord, we'll all be challenged from. It. I pray that every saved person in here will just keep that in their mind that we can be like you. And I pray that will help us to. Uh, have uh, a mindset like you. I pray you'll help us to learn about you, uh, to focus on you, and to just do everything in our lives to just act like you. And I pray that uh, you'll give us victory in these things so we can be servants of righteousness instead of sin. In your name we pray. Amen.